Let's stand and sing that. in his name lovely hallelujah why don't we give the lord a good hearty hand clap this morning and just let him know that we love him amen we praise him and we worship him we just want him to feel welcomed in our presence today amen it's going to be a beautiful day man because we're the chosen ones of god is that right hallelujah amen we've got a baptismal today amen and i'm just so excited you know when a heart becomes tender and turns towards god amen Nothing, nothing bar none is more important in this world than bringing a soul to Christ. Amen. The angels shout, the angels rejoice, and I think we ought to do the same thing. Are you with me this morning? Hallelujah. Let's sing the little song, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. Amen. I'm telling you, I'm just bubbling with praise and worship today. So y'all better watch out. Oh my. Well, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise, and I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad, oh, he has made me glad, he has made me glad. Well, I will enter 
the truth. Amen. There ain't no peace like that. There ain't no joy. Nothing in this world to give you that kind of joy right there. That's real peace. Real joy. Hallelujah. Glory to God. My goodness, goodness, we keep this up. We're going to be, pastor's going to be preaching on the other side. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Isn't that lovely? Amen. When your heart is just set free of the burdens and cares of this life. Amen. We're doing what matters the most right now. Amen. It's praising the Lord God. Amen. The creator of this heaven and earth. Amen. We set our sights on things. We get our mind all wrapped up in what's going on in that world out there. I'm telling you what's the truth. It ain't worth it. Amen. This is worth it all. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's sing a little song. My chains are gone. Key of C. My chains are gone. I've been set free 
my God, my Savior has a ransom me.
about that now. Forever yours. My chains are gone. Oh, Lord, I've been set free. And I thank you, Jesus. My God, my Savior has change order of our service this time, amen, and take our special needs to the Lord, amen, we have uh, many, many folks that are not with us, Lord, some dealing with sickness, and, and just, we want to keep these people in our prayers, amen, to mention some of these, uh, we want to remen- uh, remember Sister Mary, um, she is at home doing therapy, uh, remember Brother Richard as well, want to remember uh, Sister Sister Munch in prayer. She is not feeling well today. And please, if you will, remember Brother Peter Coffey and his family. Very sick and just dealing with illness. If you would remember that family, special prayer as well. If you'll keep Brother Joe Paschal in your prayer and the Paschal family. Man, they've been through a really long ordeal. And uh, we really miss them. Brother Joe, if you're listening, brother, we'd just love to shake your hand. Man, just miss you here in the assembly with us. We're praying for you that God would bring you back. Amen. I remember the Godwin family. Um, uh, they're visiting Brother Josh's side of the family, if you'd remember them in prayer. And uh, also, if you'd remember Sister Hannah Whitlock in prayer. And uh, that's all the special needs that I have at this time. Do you have unspoken prayer requests? Father, uplifted hand. Brother Bill Walters, if you'd make your way forward here, take these needs to the Lord for us, brother. Amen. kind Heavenly Father, we're so happy to be here today, Lord, to worship you, and we rejoice in the singing, Lord, and praises to your name, and we come now and bring these prayer requests to your mind, Lord, and we just know you're our great healer, great provider. Any unspoken requests, Lord, we lift them before you and ask you to fulfill the needs of the people, Lord, we just praise you. Ask you to bless the ministry as Brother Barry comes forth and brings the word. Speak through him, Lord, and allow us to just put all our thoughts and our minds on you. We just praise you and love you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You could have your seats. We have a special today, Brother Noah. Cockman will be singing for us as he's making his way up to the front. Let's sing a little song together. Open the eyes of my heart. Can you see? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the 
eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. Yes, I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up. Oh, shining in the light of your out your power and love as we sing holy 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 I want to see you well I want to see This is a song I wrote last week. Hope y'all enjoy it. Though I may drift away, I will never get too far. I know the Lord's with me, He will walk me through the dark. Even though I might be scared, through your word I have been prepared. You'll be my light so I can see. No matter where I go, no matter what I do, I'll always go back to you. Through my darkest days, I'll learn to give you praise. Lord, I always want to be with you. Even though I cannot see it, through faith I will believe it. You said if I receive it, it is mine, it is mine. Even though I cannot see it, through faith I will believe it. You said if I receive it, it is mine. It is mine I tried to run I tried to hide But your love was always by my side You never let me get too far away In your grace I will stay Even though I might be scared Through your word I have been prepared You'll be my light so I can see No matter where I go No matter what I do I will always go back to you 
darkest days I will learn to give you praise, oh Lord I always want to be with you my darkest days want to run back to him amen good song brother noah thank you for that and appreciate the talent god's placed in the young man's life amen hallelujah all right let's stand amen and we're going to invite our deacons to make their way forward we're going to take up our morning offering amen and you just feel free to give us unto the lord man we know our tithes our offerings go and spread god's kingdom through this word this world amen Brother Tom Ward, would you lead us in prayer for this? Amen. I've got the song on my heart. Feel it's fitting. Amen. Just before the pastor comes, the power of your love. Amen. I love this song. And words really move my heart. Lord, I've come to you, let my heart be changed and renewed, flowing from the grave that I found in you. Lord, I've come to know the weaknesses I see in me will be stripped away by the power of your love all together, oh Jesus. Let your love surround me, yes. Bring me near, draw me to your side. Oh, yes, and I will, I'll rise up like the I will soar with you. Your spirit leads me, oh, in the power of your love. Oh, Lord, unveil my eyes and let me see you face to face the knowledge of your love as it lives in me oh as you live in me Lord and Lord renew my mind as your will unfolds in my life oh in living Day. Oh, yes, just by the power of your 
love. Sing it as your pastor comes. Oh, Jesus. Oh, pray for me. Let your love surround me. Yes. Oh, bring, bring me Oh, and draw me to your side. I'll rise up like the eagle And I will soar with you Your spirit breathes Oh, in the power of your
come before you this morning, Lord, with thanksgiving in our hearts. Thanking you, Lord, for all you have done for us. Your great mercies, they're new every day. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the breath we breathe, for the love we have, Lord, for you and your word. We're thankful, Lord, for this place. We're thankful for this people. We're thankful, Lord Jesus, for a time we can set aside to worship you in spirit and in truth. Now, Lord Jesus, I pray, take this service, breathe upon it. Lord, pour yourself out upon us. Father, may you just move from vessel to vessel, Lord, and deliver that which we have need of today. We know you to be a healer, and Lord, I pray you'd heal those that need your touch today. We know you, Lord, to be a comforter, and we pray that you would bring comfort to all who are troubled today. I pray, dear Jesus, that you would anoint the word now and just quicken it to our hearts, that it might become a living reality, Lord, in our hearts, and it might become a part of us. Have your way, Lord, we pray as we continue to worship you, Lord. Forgive us, O God. Forgive us and look at us through the blood of Christ. We'll give you thanks and praise and glory. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen and amen. Listen, if you don't mind, that just sounds so good. Sing it again. The chorus. Lord, I've come to you and let my heart be changed and be new flowing from the grace that I found in you the grace I found in you Lord thank you Jesus Lord I've come to know as I see in me will be stripped away by the power of your love oh Jesus and hold hold me close and let your love surround Shake somebody's hand near you and say, God bless your pilgrim. You may be seated this morning. Thank you, musicians. We'll let you take your places there. And uh, we welcome all of you to the house of the Lord today. Certainly an honor and a privilege to be here, be gathered with God's people in God's house. And uh, I just trust that the Lord will uh, speak to us today. We have a few birthdays and an anniversary here <clears throat> that we want to acknowledge. Brother Sean... Uh, it's his birthday today. He was here. 
Why don't we just wait until he comes back in? Can't get away from this. Sister Parks' birthday is the 24th. God bless you, Sister Parks. Great to have you with us. And uh, April 25th is Anderson's birthday. Anderson, how old are you going to be on your birthday? Really? Wonderful. God bless you. And uh, Brother Aaron, Reverend Nengamaza, has an anniversary on the 27th. How many years? Four years. Really? Wonderful. So you were just married when you moved here, right? Wonderful. Great to have you with us. We, we appreciate Brother Aaron and all that he does. Uh, he's a special person among us, like everybody else. <laughs> I was so excited this week to have Brother Sean celebrate his birthday. <laughs> you can't get away from it, Brother Sean. How old are you going to be on your birthday? Today is your birthday, right? How old? Really? Wonderful. <laughs> I was so excited this week to have uh, this report from Brother Elias in uh, Tanzania. And uh, this is uh, the, the ongoing work of missionaries over there that we support. There's about 20 of them that uh, travel. And uh, we traveled that road when we were there in December. And uh, the word is still going out. And uh, they're, they're baptizing new converts over there. And uh, we're just so excited uh, about what's taking place there. And uh, these are just a couple of photographs that, uh, that they sent over uh, of new people that have uh, come to the faith over there and one uh, little group, uh, extra little group there, and uh, just, uh, just very thankful uh, for that. Um, I wanted to mention that uh, we have uh, the drums who are not with us today and also the uh, Sister Karen Buchanan, we want to rem- remember her in prayer and uh, just trust that the Lord will uh, minister to Sister Karen. She has, uh, still has uh, complications with her heart and so forth and circulation, different things, but uh, we're uh, still praying for her. Uh, we're going to have a baptism today. Brother Samuel Pugh has uh, rededicated his life to the Lord and has a great testimony. And I, I, Sometime, Brother Sam, when you're up to it, I'd love for you to uh, testify of all that God's done in your heart, and uh, we're so excited today to be able to rebaptize Brother Sam. And uh, that's that's. Uh, let me tell you, that's evidence that God's still moving, and what He's done in Brother Sam's life, and we're so thankful for that. Uh, <clears throat> wanted to mention to you, I have the first uh, finished copy of uh, the new Seven Seals book. This is the book redesigned uh, and printed, and uh, unfortunately, I don't have copies for everybody. Uh, but we are working on that, and Lord willing, we'll get them as soon as we possibly can. But there's going to be a few, just a few thousand that are available over here uh, initially, and then Lord willing, we'll have more after that. Uh, so this is, uh, this is now, uh, in, at least in my possession, uh, but it's redesigned so that it's easier to read and it has uh, all the uh, better pagination and editorial work done in it. So it's, it's uh, just uh, going to be a real blessing around the world. Also as well, uh, I was given this week a copy of uh, the complete story of Brother Branham's experience in Finland when he went and uh, prophesied that there was going to be a uh, little boy raised from the dead. And uh, when Brother Branham went to the scene in Finland and drove past, they were riding through the countryside and uh, saw the police by the side of the road and uh, saw this little boy 
uh, there was uh, they at Brother Branham's party actually went past the, in, the the location, and then Brother Branham said stop and go back and look at this again. And when he saw the place again, looked at it a little more slowly, he identified this is the place. And so they brought him to the boy, and of course he prayed for that little boy, and he was raised from the dead. I have a, a copy now of the complete detail of that story, and the other little boy who was also injured in that accident and uh, what his experience was and, and Brother Random and all the details of it. So we're going to make that available to you. I'll probably send you a, a copy, a PDF copy of that so you can have it. And uh, we may actually print that so uh, it would become available uh, to other, uh, other folks as well. So you'll be looking for that. I'm going to have you, if you don't mind, I'm going to have you stand to your feet this morning. And uh, <clears throat> we're going to look in John chapter 4. And we'll take a reading there from the beginning. And this is kind of where we left off last Sunday. And I appreciate your feedback and the comments that were given uh, over last, last weekend. <clears throat> John chapter 4. Everybody have it? Say amen. amen. Julian, great to have you here. Sister, God bless you. Great to have you with us uh, today. John, the fourth chapter. Perhaps one of the most well-known passages, because Brother Random talks about this in almost every service. Verse 19, And the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. And God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Take your Bible, if you don't mind, let's go to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans, the 12th chapter. So God is seeking those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. So my advice to you today is don't lose that spirit that exists in the building today. Uh, do your part to contribute to that and continue to worship God as you listen to the word and uh, the preaching of the word. The worship doesn't stop when the music stops. Worship doesn't stop when the musicians take their seats. Worship doesn't stop just because now it's me. Let me tell you, we're here to worship God. We're here to have church. We're here to just thank him for all that he's done for us. Now, in Romans chapter 12. Now, I want you to just think about this for a moment as we read the Bible this morning in this little passage here. If we look at the Bible just as words on paper, that's what you'll get. But I have learned over the years, the best thing I can do when reading the word is actually look through it. When you look through it, you're going to see who's behind it. So when you read the word, don't just, don't just stop at the words on the paper, but look at him who's behind this word. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good acceptable and perfect will of God. May God add his blessing. You may be seated this morning.
I've mentioned to you before that we have lost the home field advantage in America when it comes to being a Bible-believing Christian. We've lost the home field advantage. We live in a culture now where the Bible and the respect for the Bible is being resisted and rejected in just about every aspect of society. Years ago, everyone wasn't a Christian, but people had an inherent respect for the Bible. And they didn't blaspheme it. They didn't disregard it. uh, They didn't ridicule it. But we live in a society now very much like Daniel's group, which when they went to Babylon, the leaders of Babylon figured out that we're going to have to strip these young people of their culture and put in place another culture, another way of thinking, and another way of viewing the world than what they had when they came here. Because they came from Israel, and they had uh, very much a, uh, a Jewish mindset, if you like. They had a Jewish way of thinking. And in order, to, in order to cultivate this new group of people who came from Babylon, we're going to have to strip that culture away from them and replace it with something different. And I will tell you something, that's exactly what the devil is still trying to do today, is to strip away all the Christianity that he can and replace it with something else. And that, that work in the culture is a very powerful thing. And so therefore, it's a shame for us to have to say uh, what we're saying this morning is that we have lost the home, uh, the home advantage. Now, in, in team sports, home advantage is... Uh, it's called different things there. It describes the benefit that the home team has uh, in, in, uh, in possibly the advantage of having uh, the, the home crowd, uh, the familiar stadium or field, uh, all of, the, all of the, uh, the, the effects of not having to travel, not having to work in a different climate. Uh, they have the benefit of the effects, according to the definition here, uh, that supporting ha- fans give to uh, their team. And, and generally, uh, you know, when you, when you go to a venue, and uh, I, I don't, thankfully, <laughs> I don't go to, go to these venues very often. It's a rare bird if I ever show up at something like this, and usually I'm coerced or forced or uh, pressured, uh, and it's usually my, my uh, boys or grandchildren or something else, but it's a rare thing. But when you go there, uh, if you're in the, in the home side, uh, you pretty much know it. You pretty much know when you're on the home team. And everybody's not afraid to uh, identify what side they're on. But they have an advantage of playing in familiar surroundings. And uh, it, it, is, it is really uh, very often a, a powerful thing, kind of a mental thing for uh, somebody to play in the home team. And I, I think that years ago we had an advantage uh, in America where uh, preaching, preaching a message like we have and uh, talking about the Bible and taking things from the Scripture, uh, those things were more readily accepted generally. Now we become the odd man out. So now your struggle and your, your resistance, if you like, or your, uh, your stand uh, becomes more important all the time. And it's not a given that everybody's going to accept your point of view. It's, it's, it's not a given that you're going to hear things that are compatible with what you believe in school. It used to be accepted. Now it's not accepted. 
And uh, it used to be something that was common. Now it's not common at all. And so, uh, therefore, we, we as, as Christians, then, if we are committed and determined as we are, uh, we've got to be ready to stand. And not only stand, but defend what it is that we believe. And so, therefore, uh, the preaching of the gospel and, and the preaching of the word and coming to service like this, it, it does more than just give you information. It strengthens you for the environment that we live in most of the week. We don't live here most of the week. But we need, to have, we need to have insight. We need to have strength. We need to have encouragement uh, because we're in an environment that's essentially hostile uh, to Christianity all the time. And uh, speaking of a sports analogy, uh, you know, uh, when you have a, a team out there that's playing and you watch that team come on the, uh, on the field or on the ice or on the, uh, on the, in the arena, whatever it is, uh, you know, the hometown crowd, they'll cheer for their team when they come out and then they'll uh, cheer for the other, the other guys will cheer for the other team over there coming out. And then whenever you're at a venue like that, you see the officials come out. And a lot of times that, uh, you know, I, I, I've, like I say, I've seen a few. And back when I was uh, a young fellow and involved in this stuff because I came from Canada. And in Canada, there are only two sports because there's only two seasons. The so two seasons are winter and not winter. And the two sports are hockey and Tim Hortons. And that's it. So when the referees come out, when the, when the group of referees come out, very often, they, uh, you know, the, the crowd will react to that. And sometimes they'll give them an applause, and sometimes they don't. But, you know, uh, the, the, the players are supposed to be affected by the home team crowd, uh, and the, the opposition is supposed to be intimidated by the home team crowd, but the officials are really not supposed to be swayed by anything. Isn't that right? When they come out, they're supposed to be focused on doing one thing, and that is following the book. And, and when it comes to any kind of a controversial decision or something that's, uh, something that's questionable that happens in the game, uh, the, the people who are monitoring this, they're going to they're gonna ask one question. Did the officials follow what was in the rule book? That's, that's the one thing they're interested in. Uh, the, the referees can't have favorite players on one side or the other. Uh, they can't be rooting for one team or the other. Uh, they've got one job when they skate out there and they wear the black and white, and that is that they have to follow the book. Isn't that right? right. We're like a bunch of referees. I consider myself like a referee this morning, that my job is not to make friends and make everybody love me and make everybody laugh or smile. My job is to follow the book. And that's the thing that the Holy Spirit's watching. And I believe the Holy Spirit is nothing less than God among us. I believe that the thing that makes him pleased this morning is whether we follow the book or not. There's a lot of people rooting one way or another way. There's a lot of controversy. There's a lot of people feel this should have been done or that should have been done or this should stop and so forth. But hey, we're just following the book. And that's exactly what God would have us to do today is to follow that book. Now, in, uh, in, in keeping with what we talked about last Sunday and very trailing end of the service, uh, we talked about uh, losing our first love. And uh, I, I don't want to belabor this point, but I want to connect last Sunday with today. And uh, there are many things that we go through. There's many things that we suffer because we have lost our first love. And I'm not saying this about anybody else. I, I, I know in my own experience that a lot of things have happened since I first began to walk with the Lord. There's a lot of things that have taken place. There's a lot of water that's gone underneath the bridge. 
And there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, maybe if I, if in my own self, just in my own self, I know that the footsteps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, but there's some things I would love to have back and redo again. Uh, there, there are some things that, uh, if, if I could, I would like to do them better than what I did. I don't know how you feel about that. And sometimes we miss those things because we are not as in tune with him as we used to be. Because when we first knew him and we first uh, embraced him and when we first felt his love and his mercy in our lives, uh, let me tell you, there was, a, there was a feeling you had. You didn't want to get away from that. You didn't, want to, you didn't want to get out of that presence. You wanted to stay in that. But life happens, doesn't it? The unexpected happens. There are things that go on in our lives and things that go on in the world that shake us all. I'm thankful that we have something in us that cannot be shaken away from the truth. That, that we cannot be unpredestinated because of circumstances that we face. I, I'm thankful that we have a holding power that the Holy Spirit gives that nothing, nothing can take away. I'm thankful for that. But I know that we can lose and we can have the joy of the Lord diminished in our lives. Isn't that right? Here's, here's a woman asking Brother Branham, and I, 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 I made this question just a little shorter here for time. But she asked Brother Branham, approximately 10 years ago, God met me and revealed what the gift of love was. And my prayer is that I will return. Will I receive it before I die? And will my husband hear the word and what am I to do? So in other words, Brother Branham said she lost her first love and got cold in the spirit. Now, I know this is not any of you, and uh, like I said, I just want to connect here from last Sunday. But this is what happened to her, that uh, she's living with a husband who doesn't believe, and, and that's, a, that's a difficult thing, and uh, other things that have probably gone on in her life here, and said now she, she lost her first love. Maybe, he said, because you still come to church and do what's right, he said, you haven't lost your salvation, but you've lost the joy of your salvation. And he said, David cried to the Lord one time and said, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Now watch his advice now that he gives to her. He said, you're still a Christian, but what you want to do, sister, is turn loose of everything that you know. Turn loose of everything that you know how. Seek God and pray. That's what you want to do. You want to, you want to turn loose of things. And there are some things that all of us can turn loose of. And he says, just turn loose of things and, and, and just seek God and pray with all your heart. And will my husband hear the word? And what am I to do? As I said this morning, just be salty. You are the salt of the earth. And your husband will watch your chaste life. And the husband that's a believer will be sanctified by the believing wife. Do you believe that today? Even your children and, and those that are around you. And he said, just seek the Lord. He says it again. Seek the Lord. Stay humble and pray all the time, giving praise. And be kind to your husband as long as he's willing to live with you that way. Be kind to your husband. And if people who are of different faiths are married together, and Brother Ram's advice is for them to be kind to one another, my goodness, how about us here uh, who, are, who are in the believing community? We should be kind one to another. We should certainly be that because uh, I, I know this, that husband and wife, sometimes the devil can uh, emphasize things about that person uh, that is not, uh, not so easy anymore. Or maybe there's changes in their lives and, and it, we can easily become critical of one another and we can become critical verbally, but we can also become critical mentally. Am I talking to anybody this morning? And if we're not careful, we can focus on or land on and remain in that vein of being critical of somebody that we should look at differently than with criticism. 
And even parents with children and children with parents and, uh, you know, church members one of another. Here's Brother Branham's advice now. He's saying just seek the Lord. It's not a 12-step program. It's not difficult. He said just seek the Lord and stay humble and pray and give God praise and be kind to your husband as long as he's willing to live live with you that way. And everybody said, I think that's good advice. Now, Brother Branham says, and in one more place, Brother Branham says, now, for instance, he said, you were married to a a, a lovely woman, and she loved you, and you loved her, uh, you said. And after a while, you took another woman, or you took another man. He said, you have to turn your first love down. In order to do that, you have to turn your first love down. And he said, that's the only way that we can adopt a creed is when we turn our first love down, which is the word. That's the only way you can adopt something other than the word of the hour. That's the the only way you can get caught up in something that's not truth is when you turn away from your first love, which is the word. So now this is not just between husband and wife here, but now he's he's given us a spiritual application. You cannot believe in error until first you step over the truth. You cannot believe in error until you first step over the truth. Like I I mentioned, I think on Wednesday night, I heard Brother David Iverson say uh, when he was up at Brother Ron Spencer's there last week, and he said, I've never seen anybody who resisted the message and came against it and turned out to be a better Christian. He said, I've never met him. And I believe that's really true because you cannot, you cannot believe in error by stepping over the truth and come out a better person. Can't do that, friends. Let me tell you, we are what we are by the grace of God and by the mercies of God. Now, I want to uh, just uh, focus here this morning for a few minutes on this scripture here, if you don't mind. And if you give me just a, a few minutes here, um, I want to I look at some of these words here because this is such a, such a powerful uh, scripture, such, and it's in a powerful place between all of what Paul taught in the book of Romans and then uh, from Romans 12 uh, verse 1 all the way from uh, or out to Romans chapter 16. Paul is giving all kinds of commandments and admonitions uh, in that portion of scripture from Romans 12 to 16. There's all kinds of things in there that Paul is uh, he's, uh, encouraging uh, Christians to follow and to do. But he's making sure that we understand that you're not going to be able to do them without, without the Spirit of God living inside you. And, and that's obvious. In the same way that, uh, you know, when Daniel was uh, down in Babylon and uh, they systematically took away everything that was familiar from him and the Babylonian culture was impressed upon him. They had, they had Babylonian names. They had Babylonian schools. They had Babylonian textbooks. Uh, they had Babylonian music that played. They had uh, Babylonian methods of uh, practicing medicine and all the other things that were associated with Babylon besides the spiritual and the religious side. Uh, they had all of that imposed upon them as young men. And we know that they were only about 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, somewhere in that range out there. And they had that culture pressed on them. And they were reminded all the time that this is not Jerusalem. This is not, this is not where you came from. And culture can be a very powerful thing. And so Daniel and, and his, his uh, companions had to have more uh, than just an association with that culture of Israel in order to hang on in this environment. Hear me now what I'm saying. 
they had, uh, they, 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 they were now in an environment where nothing was familiar to them. And nothing was compatible to their faith that they grew up learning. And they were thrust into that environment. It's kind of like a, uh, you may be a young person, homeschooled all their life, and all of a sudden they wind up in a secular college, and they realize, whoa, this is different. This is not why. Mom never talked about this. And uh, <clears throat> never seen people dressed like this before. And uh, when they get into an environment like that, it's, it's generally hostile compared to the environment they came out of. And what I'm simply saying to you this morning in a simple way, but we're going to develop this, is that you've got to have more than just identity with that culture that you came out of in order to withstand this culture over here. You've got to have, you've got to have more than just familiarity uh, with the principles of the Bible and the message and association with the church and a, a pew that you always sit in in the church. You've got to have more than that in order to overcome this culture over here because this culture is powerful. Now, it, I hope it would be all right. I'd like to define culture just for a moment here and uh, just to talk a little bit about this if you don't mind here. Now, um, Brother Branham said, but Cain hated Abel. So I'm just going to divert for a moment now. And he said Cain hated Abel and he thought he was a holy roller. And he hasn't, he hasn't changed his opinion. And he thought Abel was a religious fanatic. Cain thought that Abel was a religious fanatic. And he still believes it, that his formal ideas of his culture, of his own thing, is better than the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So Cain is thinking that, Hey, our way of doing things, our, our refined way. Now, you got to admit, you got to admit that, uh, you know, when you look at, if you were just an, an independent observer and you rolled into the garden, uh, this next to the garden, and you saw Cain and Abel going to church. Let's just say you did that. And you looked at Abel's offering to God. I mean, it would have been the kind of thing where, honey, get your phone, get a picture of this. Because it was, it probably would have been very nice. The fruits of the field all arranged and the flowers and it would have been nice. No doubt, Cain probably would have put a tablecloth or something over that rock and just laid it all out so nice there and stood back from it and think, wow, aesthetically, logically, this is a beautiful thing to look at. And had it all arranged in such a nice way. And if you pass by, you'd say, wow, it's pretty nice, pretty nice. And then if you uh, rolled over to uh, Abel's altar over here and looked at Abel, and he's, he's kind of looking at this, this lamb that's there on the rock. And maybe it came just after the event, but now this lamb is just kicking the last time, and there's blood everywhere. There's blood running down over the side of this rock. And Abel's got blood on his hands, and he's probably wiped them on his tunic, and he's just standing back like this and looking at this scene here. And you come along, compared to that, and you look at this over here, and you realize, wow, you know what? It would take a revelation to know that that's what pleases God. Because Brother Branham said that when Abel did that, when Abel raised that stone and cut that little lamb's throat, the blood went everywhere. Brother Branham said that God said to the, uh, to the uh, chorus of heaven, He said, he's got it, he's got it, that's it, he's got it. That's the words that Brother Branham used. But now if you're looking at that in a normal way, you'd think, wow, what a strange and what a, a, in in a sense, what a a different way that is than, than his way over here. And so Brother Branham said that 
He, Cain, still believes that his formal ideas of his culture of his own thing is better than the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but he's wrong. Look at here, he's wrong, absolutely wrong. I don't care how well your choir can sing. I don't care how good your preacher can preach. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. He said, back to God's plan, back to the Bible. God has a way, but man don't want to come to it. Let me add a little bit to that and say that it's not so much that man don't want to come to it. Maybe man did come to it, but now they've kind of cultured their way through that, and now they're looking for a better way. Now, I'm just saying this, that culture, in a sense, is not always a bad thing, and I'll show you that in a moment. But I will say this, that when you come, when you come to the place where you want to be cultured past, the, by, past the, the standards of the message of the hour and think that it doesn't mad, that doesn't matter anymore, I mean, we've, we've gone past Brother Branham now by 50-odd years, and, uh, you know, we really don't need to worry so much about that anymore, and we've, we've refined things. We've kind of come beyond that. I will tell you, that's a dangerous way for us to think. Are you following me this morning? Let's define culture. Culture is... It's the accepted beliefs and traits of a group. Whether it is a nation or whether it's a country, doesn't matter. It's the characteristics of everyday existence, the way of life people have. Like southern culture. How many of you know... I mean, all of you start to smile right away. Even the non-Southerners are smiling. Now, Brother Burley Williams will say to us, because he often reminds me of this, he said, you people in North Carolina don't really live in the South. He said, you live in the North of the South. But I always tell him we are Southern by the grace of God. In the South, we have a way of doing things. Isn't that right? We have a we have a kind of an atmosphere. People in the South, Southern churches are different than Northern churches. I don't know if you know that. They say lots of words like y'all. And the plural of y'all is all y'all. This is not the West. This is not the West Coast. They have their own culture. We're in the South. And you know that that's true. And then it's a set of shared attitudes and values and goals that uh, practice together, they characterize uh, an institution or an organization. If you worked at Apple, there's a culture in there. There's a culture in the university. If you, if you go to some of the larger universities, there's a, there's a way of life. There's a, a way of acting, a everyday existence in that. That's a little bit different than the rest of the world. If you live in Washington, D.C., they have a, a different way of life day-to-day than what most people have. And culture is a, it can be placed in a lot of different places. Now, uh, sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. Now, these children were not solicited. They were not asked, do you want to be raised in the Amish culture? Do you want to grow up dressing like this and worshiping like we do and carrying on the traditions that we have? They were not asked that. They were immersed in that culture. Very much like Daniel uh, immersed in the, in the Jewish culture in his world. Isn't that right? Daniel grew up as a Jew. Everybody with me? Now, don't put this off too far because uh, all of us are part of a little culture as well. We'll call it the message culture. Is that all right? 
How many of you have ever been to Charleston, South Carolina? Let me see your hands. How many of you have ever shopped in the open market down there? Sure. And when you go down, you see uh, crafts that are made there uh, that are made from sweet grass. And I have a couple of items uh, from there. And they're very beautiful. And uh, the, the ladies that make that, you'll see them down there. And we've talked to them several times. And, and many of those people are called Gullah people. And uh, they come from the lowlands in the coastal region, the Sea Island area uh, in, their, in their part of the world, off uh, Georgia and of Florida and North Florida and uh, South Carolina and even parts of North Carolina. And they are a very traditional people. And because when they came over to the U.S. years and hundreds of years ago, many of them lived on islands. And because they lived on islands, they were not as affected by the American culture uh, as people on the mainland because there was less interaction with the mainland. They, they fished and they, uh, they had, uh, you know, different uh, ways of life on the island that were different from the uh, people on the mainland. And the mainland uh, went in a different direction, you know, in developing roadways and schools and all the rest of it. But the Gullah people maintained their traditions and they did a very good job of it. And they, they, taught their, uh, they taught their children uh, folklore and stories and quilting and making baskets out of sweetgrass and fishing nets and so forth. All of that. Still do a lot of that today. They did a remarkable job at holding on to their culture. And when you dig into it a little bit, uh, their religion and their spirituality is something that's still very strong among the Gullah people. And they established... Uh, belief in God, belief in community above individuality. They, believe, they believed in respect for elders and ancestors. They had a respect for the land. And they met in these praise houses that are here. This is a picture of a praise house that they had. Now, again, these people were not uh, solicited. They were not asked, do you want to be raised Gullah? They were, they were born in that community, and they were raised with those traditions there. Not a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing at all. As a matter of fact, that culture is so established there that now their language is considered an official language in the world. And my wife bought me, I collect Bibles and uh, have lots of different ones. And uh, this is a Gullah New Testament. And they have their own New Testament. It's, it's extraordinary. But this is made for the Gullah people in, their, in the low country language. And uh, this is the way that they traditionally speak. Now I listened to uh, them speaking on, online the other day when I was thinking about this. And, uh, you know, it was just, just amazing. I'm not going to try to impersonate it, but I want you to look at this verse. And I'm going to read you, I'm going to show you a verse out of the Gullah New Testament, okay? This is the way they read in their churches. And in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Here it is in Gullah. Now then, in that time, when more and more people been a bleep, bleep upon the Lord Jesus and walking away, something came up. I'm going to say it my way. And the Jew people, what talked the Greek language, been a start for gumble about the Jew than what talked the Hebrew language. <clears throat> the Jew them what talk to Greek, every day when they get out, uh, they get out, it's a foreign language. Them widow women, them Hebrew, 
widow women get more than we Greek widow women. That's, that's one verse in the Gullah language. I wish I could say it like they say it. I, I know I'm making a mess of it. But they, when they say it, it's just, it's just so uh, poetic and rhythmic when they say it. But that's an official language uh, in the world. And this is their New Testament here. But when they, when they get together and they worship and so forth, this is, this is the, the language of, their, uh, of the Scripture. In that time. So now, what I'm saying is that that's a, that's a strong culture that influences people in that part of the world. In the Jewish culture, they have uh, very strong traditions that have been handed down for years and years and years. Whether you're uh, talk about the Ashkenazi Jews or uh, all the way down to modern Israel and Jews that live in cities like New York and so forth, the Jewish community there, uh, they have. They have customs, uh, they have a way of life, they have a way of worship that's very different uh, than the community around them, and it is a result of the things that they believe or believe that are found in Scripture. And so that's a very profound thing. And whenever you go in the, wherever you go in the world, wherever you travel, and you encounter Jews, you'll see them stand out from the culture that you're in, whether it's Russia or whether it's in New York, or whether it's in Europe, you'll see them uh, stand out because they're different. Now, there's some things that we can relate to about the culture, but there are also uh, cultures that are very different. The samurai culture. The samurai culture is, is extremely different because the way of the warrior uh, in the samurai culture believes in four things. Frugality, loyalty, the mastery of martial arts, and honor unto death. So in that culture, it's an honor to die. In that culture, it's an honor to kill your neighbor. Just like in Tanzania, there are people over there in their culture, in the primitive cultures, that believe that it's a good thing to eat your neighbor. I'm glad we don't live in or near that culture. What I'm saying is that depending on what culture you're raised in, it's going to affect you. And it's going to have an influence on you no matter where it is that you're raised. Now, it's amazing how that when Jesus came on the scene, he did not, he did not bow very much to the prevailing culture of the time. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had a way of doing things, didn't they? They had a way of uh, believing. They had a way of uh, doing things among themselves. And Jesus really didn't bother with that a great deal. He was not intimidated by that uh, very much at all. Because he was there, listen to me, he was there operating under the influence of another culture, which was the culture of the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus was looking that way rather than looking this way to do what he uh, felt the Father would have him to do. And even when he taught the disciples to pray, he said, say it like this, Our Father which is on, uh, our Father, uh, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus operated with this uh, tie continually. I'm, I'm going somewhere, folks, so stay with me here. He, he, he had a tie continually to that kingdom, didn't he? He was living in this one, and he was in a culture that was, as he found out, hostile to the things that he believed. He was, he was treated with hostility, uh, even though he was on the mission that was in the perfect will of God. Can you say amen? And, and that didn't bother him. He didn't, he didn't say, oh, folks, why can't you be like me? And all, he, didn't, he didn't go there at all. He just kept that tie to that kingdom because that tie was stronger than his tie to this earthly kingdom here. 
And I believe that when a person is born again, I believe that tie to that kingdom becomes stronger than the tie we should have to this kingdom around us here. And we should be influenced more by that kingdom than by this kingdom right here. And this is what Paul is really telling us about. And he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you uh, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, I underlined a few words here, and I, I want to just highlight a few things here for you and say that uh, what, what Paul is actually uh, making sure we understand is that God is not forcing you to present your body a living sacrifice. God is not, he's not demanding that. Paul is saying, I'm asking you. I'm actually entreating or asking you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. And this is not like an Old Testament sacrifice which was presented to die, but now, by God's grace, we, we present ourselves to live, not die. We don't lose our life by giving, uh, giving ourselves to Christ. Now, I realize there's a death, you know, the inner man and so forth, death, burial, resurrection that we go through. But let me tell you, when you present your body a living sacrifice, Brother uh, Sam gets baptized today. It's, a, it's an action that says, I, I'm going to go down and I want the old Sam to be gone, completely washed away with the water there. And I want to come back up in newness of life so that now my life is not dead. My, my, my everyday walk is alive through Christ. That it is that whatever God wants to do with this body, whatever God wants to do with this mind, whatever God wants to do with my mouth, he can certainly do it. And when we present our bodies, Paul is saying that we should do that because of the mercies of God. How many, how many of you really, how, you know, when we think about the mercies of God... It's by the mercy of God that we're here today. It's, it's not because this is a church that's closest to you. We, are, we, are, we say that we are in the faith. We say that we are converted by the mercies of God. Not because of anything you did. We are here by the mercies of God. How many would agree? When, when in the Old Testament, when they, they worshiped together, you remember the story, the little story of the scapegoat. And the scapegoat was an animal that was brought into the camp and the high priest put his hands on that scapegoat and all of the sins of the people, because the high priest represented the people, all of the sins of the people were transferred to that goat and they took that goat and they led him off into the wilderness. And he was to die. With all of the sin of the camp on him, that that goat was, was to die in the wilderness. Now it's an amazing thing when you think about the mercies of God that over in the book of uh, Mark, as a matter of fact, I have it right here. In the book of Mark, when Jesus was, uh, was baptized by John, uh, not for sin, but when he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descended on him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately, what did the spirit do? But drive him into the wilderness. So he represented that scapegoat that would have our sins upon him. Listen, he would have our sins upon him and God drove him out into the wilderness. He was a type. He was already showing what Calvary would do to take care of that sin question. But it was not just on an animal now, but Jesus represented that as the Lamb of God and driven off into the wilderness. And then when he came to Calvary, he said, now we're going to do it not just as an annual event, but I'm going to settle a sin question so that now your sins are removed as far from you as the east is to the west. And they're no longer accounted to you. And you are free from your past. And you're free. 
free from your mistakes and you're free from everything that condemned you and you're free from everything that bound you and you're free because of the mercies of God. It's not because of what you did. It's not because of what uh, your pastor did for you. It's not because of what Brother Branham did for you. It's what the scapegoat did for you in going to Calvary's cross and he took sin and he embraced it and he died for it and came up alive and let me tell you, that was done on your behalf because of the mercies of God. The mercies of God allow us, saints of God, the mercies of God allow us to be able to forgive one another because we have been forgiven. The mercies of God allow us to carry on as a group. The mercies of God uh, keep us from the judgment that's impending in this world. The mercies of God, I said, keep us from the impending judgment that's about to strike this world. The mercies of God are new every day. In other words, we should appreciate them every day. We should value the mercies of God every day. We should be thankful for the grace of God every day. And Paul says, the thing that you should do, he said, is present your body. In other words, he's asking, hey, folks, if I were you, I would present my body a living sacrifice. He said, by the mercies of God, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The very least that we could do, think about it, the very least that we can do, if God did that for us, if Jesus died for us, he says, give your body back to him. It's your choice. I will tell you something that a head full of knowledge will not make you live the Christian life. Coming here and hearing hearing good preaching and hearing all the principles and having the lists all uh, neatly organized in your notebook there. All of that is a good thing, but it's not going to automatically translate into a Christian life or the life of an overcomer unless the Holy Spirit comes inside and transforms you into a son or a daughter of God. There's no life without the quickening power of the Holy Spirit. And that begins, that begins with the new birth. Paul says, and, in verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. I love the definition of conformed. It means the act of an individual assuming an outward expression that doesn't come from within, nor is representative of what their heart's desire really is. When we conform, we, we are exerted upon, we allow the pressures of this world to, to press on us to become something like the world is or like somebody else is, and it doesn't come from within. And I will tell you something, that's not a pleasing thing to God. It's not a pleasing thing to God uh, when we just conform to something without it really coming from the inside. I will tell you that God really wants it to come from the inside. We don't want our children to have a grow up in the message experience. We don't want them to have, uh, you know, I've always been at HBT and I've always known Brother Barry. And, uh, I got baptized as a young person. Not a thing in the world wrong with that. There's not a thing in the world wrong with being raised in this church. There's not a thing in the world wrong with being born to a family where the tokens applied. Those are all good things. Somebody say amen. Those are all good things. But just because you're born in that house doesn't mean that you're automatically born again you got to be born again. And that's another experience. It's an encounter with God. It's a real encounter with the living God that changes you from what you were to what God wants you to be. And let me tell you, when you live that life after you meet God, it comes from within. Thank God it comes from within. It doesn't come from without. If I'm only not cutting my hair because that's what's expected of me, you know what? You are being conformed because that's coming from the outside. I only come to church because Brother Barry will be right on my case on Monday if I don't come to church. 
and you're worried about, uh, you know, you're worried about what somebody will say or our family's not at church today. Well, we'll go anyway. Let me tell you, it's a good thing for you to be in church, but if it doesn't come from within, that's not what God's after. Do you understand? I'm only gonna, I'm only not gonna have splits in my skirt because, uh, Brother Barry brings up that quote every now and then, but really, I'd like to have it, but I'm going to do it. You are being conformed to the standards of this message, and even though that that is not a, uh, a, d- a disrespectful thing to do, I believe it is respectful, uh, to do that. Let me tell you, you gotta go a little further. That's not where it stops. You gotta go a little further and say, Lord, I wanna have a come from within. I wanna be like Daniel, who's down in Babylon and does doesn't have mom and dad and doesn't have rabbi and doesn't have the synagogue and doesn't have the Torah read every Friday. I want to have it like Daniel where it come from within, not from without. I want to believe this message because God is pulsating in my heart. And even if everybody walked away, I still want to believe this with all my heart. And I want to live it. And I want to cut my hair like I should. I want to dress like I should. I want to conduct myself like I should. Because it comes from the inside, not from the outside. You look at the the, the hairstyles and the dress styles and the music and everything else. People are, they become inundated with that in the culture and they become overwhelmed by that. And all the kids want to have, you know, a lunchbox and a shirt and, you know, songs and everything. They want to have that because the culture is pressing that from outside. And, and they're looking for direction. Come on. They're looking for direction from the outside. What's next? And what's the hottest thing? And what's, uh, what's everybody into? And therefore, I'm going to be into it too. You're being conformed, not transformed. What God is after here and what Paul is telling us is that we should not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. In other words, the seed has a life within it that will express itself, and that's exactly what needs to happen. Rather than you learning things, it is rather now an expression of the life that lays within that seed. And that's exactly what God is after. He's after that life lived. Because you're converted. He's after that life that's lived. Because you're converted. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Because you can be living in the sensory world. Like I just explained. You you can be living uh, in a world where uh, everything, everything is determined by senses. Now I thank God for my senses. You know what? I, I, I woke up the other day, came to my senses, and I said, I'm thankful for my senses because I opened up the front door of the house and came in, and Sister Becky had just, she has a starter for bread that is, a hunt, hear me, 150 years old. Yeah. You got to appreciate somebody who keep us, now she's not that old. <laughs> I need to make that very clear. But this starter apparently has 150 candles on the birthday cake. And somebody started it and passed it on. And she got it from somebody. And, and uh, now she, she feeds that thing. And I'm kind of afraid to open up the door of the oven. You know, uh, uh, she, she keeps the light on to keep a certain temperature. And I, I, every time I go by the oven, I kind of look very gently in there. Because, I, I mean, if it's 150 years old, it's probably eating everything. Right? I mean, stray cats and all kinds of things that are... You feed something that old with whatever you got. And so, but I came in the door and my, 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 uh, my olfactory senses just lit up because I smelled that sourdough bread. 
in the doorway and I thought, oh, oh, Easter's past. You know how you, I don't know how you do it, but if you starve yourself to get in your Easter outfit, Easter's past. <laughs> thank you for my nose. I thank, I thank God for my senses, but I'll tell you what, your senses are giving you to navigate in this life, not to get you to heaven. Right? We've read the quotes many times. Your senses are not designed to, make you, to give you direction as to how to get to heaven. So therefore, when you hear people talking and they're critical of everything and they're, oh, it's too hot and I don't want to go overseas because it's too smelly and I, uh, they don't have air conditioning over here and we don't, have, uh, we don't have this in our church and we don't have that in our church. And do you hear what Sister Betty did? And uh, all the other criticisms that go on, they're living in a realm down here in that sensual realm because they're reacting to things that bother them on the outside. <clears throat> you can have intellect and will. You can be the kind of person that has a stiff will. And, and, and re, you can be really strong-willed. And so when you come into the faith, you can, you, and let me tell you something, you can be the kind of person that says, well, bless God, if the Bible says that we shouldn't live immorally and not smoke, then I'm just going to give up smoking and be determined to do it. How many of you know people that have been really determined to do something that looks just like a believer? Come on. There's lots of people that have strong personalities and they're determined to do it. They're, they're determined to pay a tenth part of their income as tithing. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that we don't live by that, right, in that, in that, in that intellectual realm. We don't, we don't come here to learn the message and then perform it. We're not trying to be bride. Are you with me? We're not trying to act like bride and, and assume that we're accepted as bride because we know all the actions and we know all the songs and we know all the hand movements and we know how to bank out our check and we know how to, uh, what times to show up at church and uh, how to make everybody around us you know, feel okay because then eventually you'll feel okay. And you'll feel like, you know, just by virtue of uh, staying in motion with the people of the message and the community of the message, then uh, you know what, I, I, I'm probably okay. And, and, and in a sense, there's a real, real trick or there's a real trap embedded in this here because uh, common sense would tell you this message is very true. Common sense would tell you this message is a good way to live. Common sense would tell you the only decent or moral thing left in terms of religion practically is, is the things that you'll find in the Bible. And the message turns us back to that. Common sense would tell you that. Common sense will tell you that the way the world is living is not a good way. Common sense will tell you that uh, the way that the government is moving, they're just kind of guessing and uh, probing at what's next and all the rest of it. And they really don't have solutions and they don't have a good way. Common sense will tell you it's, it's, it's smart for you to look after your finances and plan for your future and not spend every more than what you make. Common sense will tell you that. Intellect will tell you that. But that doesn't mean that you're bride. You understand what I'm saying? That living, in, living by these two realms is not, is, not, uh, is not the Christian life. But rather, rather, when a person is born again, they're led by the Spirit of God. They're not led by, uh, you know, the, the, the senses out here and what looks good and what feels good and what everybody else is doing. They have a determination that is made not by them but for them, and it's found, it's rooted in God's Word. They have, a, they have values, they have determinations, they have, uh, they have a stronghold in their life. They are tied to an absolute that is determined not by them or even by their parents or even by their church. They have an absolute that's grounded in the Word of God. And when they have that living inside them, let me tell you, they will not be moved. They will not be shaken from the purpose that God has for them. They have it solid. <clears throat> I love this little scripture that's found over here in the book of Acts where Paul finds himself on the way to Jerusalem. 
And he says in the book of Acts, And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that which the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide in me, abide me. Paul says, listen, he said, I just know that God told me to go to Jerusalem. I just know that that's where I'm supposed to be. Every stop that he makes in a journey, somebody's prophesying or somebody's telling him, hey, bonds and afflictions are waiting for you in Jerusalem. And, you know, you probably shouldn't go and you probably should stay with us. And you're safe here if you'll only stay. And everywhere that Paul goes, the message is the same. They're telling him what lays ahead because they're prophesying and the Spirit of God is free to move in those assemblies and they're telling Paul the truth. That, that afflictions and bonds await you there. But Paul says, none of these things move me. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. I hear those things. I hear what people are saying, but none of it moves me. I don't know how you would feel about it, but I'll tell you what. That in my position here as a pastor, there are things that come up that if they could, they would, like to be able to, they would like to be an influence on an assembly like this. To move the assembly away from the things that God has ordained. But you know what? Those things don't move me. There are people who criticize me for the stand that I take. There are people who criticize me because, uh, you know, of the approach that I take to the message. And I I hold very closely to the Bible and the message, as you see. And I I purposely do that so that uh, you can see where it's coming from. And it's not just Brother Barry voicing opinions here. You know why? Because I want my family to make it in. And I want you as part of my spiritual family to make it in. And I'm willing to stand and bear the criticism uh, of, of people in different courts. And uh, sometimes it might surprise you. But, you know, to, to hear the things that are said out there. Uh, let me tell you, saints of God, I believe this message with all my heart. And even though, even though there might be pressure to move this way or to go backwards over this way or to go another direction over here. Hey, I'll say it like Paul. None of these things move me. And I trust that you have that kind of determination in your heart. Not that, we don't, not that we don't regard what other people say. Not that we don't respect what other people say. And not that, we, uh, not that you're, you're so hard-headed that God can't get through to you. Because there are times when God speaks to us through the voices of other people, other ministers, and so forth. And God has, uh, God has a numerous uh, variety of ways, uh, you know, in order to speak to us. But let me tell you, when you have a revelation and you know it comes from God, and it's your purpose in life, let me tell you, nothing should move you from that purpose. Nothing should easily dissuade you. And when it comes from within, when that voice comes from within, and when that life comes from within, you're not too concerned about what's coming from the outside. And Paul is telling us that, to be not conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because if that life is at work on the inside and it's pushing out a real expression of Christ, it's going to affect your thinking. It's going to affect your walk. It's going to affect your ministry. It's going to affect what you do uh, in, in the responsibilities that God's given you. And God knows exactly where you are. God knows exactly what you have need of. God knows exactly how to place people and how to position things in a way that he can prepare everybody in this church and another church, another church somewhere else. Hey, listen, God's smarter than all of us. You may think you just stumbled in here or circumstances kind of threw us all together. Let me tell you, it's not luck. It's not fate. It's not coincidence. I believe it's the will of God. I'm reminded of the time that Jesus on his way into Jerusalem, you remember when he came in and uh, he, he told his disciples, he said, there's a donkey down there 
and it has a fold in another town, not in this town, but in another town. And I want you to go down there and find that donkey. And when somebody says something to you, I want you to tell them the master has need of him. How many remember the story? It's in the Bible. And they go down there and they find, you know, they're walking down through the street and they see this, this setup and they realize, wow, this is the one the master was talking about. Here is Jesus on his way to die in Jerusalem. And he, he, he's, he's concerned about this, this donkey here. And he, so the disciples go down, they take him, they tell the guy, hey, master has need of him. The guy says, hey, have, have your way. Off you go, have your way. And they take him, they lead it back, and they bring it to Jesus, and, and they put their coats on it, and Jesus climbs up on that donkey, and he rides into town. The Bible says that it might be fulfilled what was said, that was spoken through the prophets. Here comes your king, lowly and meek, riding on an ass, the foal of an ass, and, and coming into Jerusalem. And, and that's it. Jesus has to fulfill the scripture. But I'll tell you what, saints of God, it, to me, it's always been comforting, and I've said this before. It's a comforting thing that if God knows where a donkey is, if God knows where he's tied up, and God knows how to get him to the right place, if God can do that with a donkey, God can do that with me and you. And I'll tell you something else. It's not the rope that was holding that donkey. It was his divine purpose that was holding him right where he was. And when time came for that donkey to be put in divine purpose, he was freed. And there's not a thing in the world can hold him back once the master calls for you. And you were a donkey tied up somewhere and you might have been tied up in a bar. You might have been tied up in drugs. You might have been tied up in a church somewhere. You might have been tied up in some condition in the world. But let me tell you, when the divine purpose rolled around to the place where now God wants to call you and bring you into his service, Brother Sam, there's not a power on earth. There's not a power below the earth that's strong enough to hold you back. When your time comes, let me tell you, you're going to step out. It's not a rope that holds you. It's not circumstances that hold you. It's not the church that holds you back. There's no pastor going to hold you back. Let me tell you, when it's your time to step into divine service. Just think think of yourself as a donkey and God knows exactly where you are. I believe with all my heart. Let me give you a little statement here. When Luther had a revival, he had a revival. Think about that. Just go that far. When Luther had a revival, he had a revival. And when Wesley had a revival, he had a revival. And both of them had signs and wonders. But the canker worms and palmer worms and ethics, etc., of the church has eaten out all the life-giving source of the church. In other words, look at the Lutherans now. Look at the Wesleyans now. And he said they've taken away miracles. Uh, He said, you Methodists here don't believe in divine healing. He said, why, I got Wesley's textbook myself. And when he was here in America, he was riding a horse to pray for a woman, and the horse fell and broke his leg. He got off with anointing oil, anointed the horse with oil, rode it away. Hallelujah! That's when the church was moving. You know what? The church didn't exist to pray for animals. The church existed to fulfill the divine purpose of God. Are you following me? And if the animal got a broken leg in the process, 
then Wesley knew exactly who to turn to because God, you've sent me on a journey. I need this horse. He lays hands on the horse and the horse comes back. He's not got a horse healing ministry here. That's not the point. And we can get bogged down in all kinds of things here. But the point is, is that God's called you and raised you up to be a bride member in this last day and to propagate this message and to send it all over the world and to do what we can, not only to send it and to preach it, but to live it as well. <clears throat> This, to me, should be, we should be a group of people who are looking for and expecting a real revival continually. I said continually. We should be looking, Lord, shake us up. Shake us up so that we can get rid of the things that don't belong. Shake us up and bring whatever we need to bring into church to get rid of the parasites. And the parasites, he said, got into the church. And another new generation came along. Be careful. Another new generation came along and said, well, there's no such thing as divine healing. Oh, there's no such thing as holiness now. Can I park there for a second? No such thing as holiness now. So it doesn't matter if I cut my hair. It doesn't matter if I wear a low-cut shirt anymore if you're a girl. It doesn't matter if I doll up my fingernails and toenails. Even though Brother Bram's very clear. I said Brother Brandon was very clear. But now people think another, another generation comes along and say, well, it doesn't matter. I can wear a split in my skirt and uh, all the other. In other words, there's a, there's a, when that happens, let me say it again. When that happens, it's generally a pressure from without, not from within. Because if you're born of God, you're not going to express worldliness or immorality, come on, folks, somebody say amen. If it's coming from the seed of God, it's going to reflect the word of God. Or you can say, well, I've been raised in this message. Well, let me tell you something. If you've been raised in this message and you look like a Jezebel, you need to be born again. I said you need to be born again. If you're, if you're raising this message and you feel like uh, sports and other activities and all kinds of other uh, occupations and so forth are more important than coming to church... You may not have gone far enough. You may need to rethink where you're standing. Because this is not about conforming. This is not about reforming. This is not about a young, young guy. I know, I know young guys who, uh, you know, have been wayward. They've been kind of wandering and wandering. And I'm not talking about anybody here, but I'm just saying, you know, in, in life they're raised in the mess. They become 18 now. They get outside the house. Uh, they got their own wheels and they're, now they're moving more independent, less zealous about God, less faithful. And, uh, you know, develop certain attitudes and so forth. And then somebody will get in their face. I've seen it happen many times. Somebody get in their face and they say, hey, listen, unless you get your act together, buddy, you know where you're headed? This is not very good. And you need to get a job. And you need to get an occupation. You need to get a degree or whatever else. And you need to pull, you know, uh, by God's help, you need to pull your life together. And sometimes young people will respond to that and do it. And now they're good members of the church. And I'm thankful that they're good members of the church. But that's not a new birth. The new birth is an experience with God. It's an encounter with God. And you know what? It's got to happen. It's got to happen not because I get in your face and get up in your grill and, and lecture you about what you should be or shouldn't be. 
It isn't, it isn't of God until it comes from a quickened seed that's on the inside and expresses itself. If I get in your face and tell you the truth and you do it because I tell you, you're being conformed to what I'm telling you. You need to have, it, you need to have the power of transformation at work in your life. You need to have that operating. Are you following me this morning? I, got, I brought my book, The Power of Transformation. I'm sorry, I'm not quoting it here because it's, fa- it's falling apart. I got it, and I'm not boasting here. I'm saying I wish I had a good copy. I wish you knew somebody who printed the books. And it, it, Brother, Bram, Brother Bram's very clear on that one topic. He said, what we, what we all want to be is transformed. He's saying what we all as believers, we all want to be transformed. We all want to have that outworking of the Holy Spirit on the inside. It's got to come from within. When it comes from within, it's not learned. When it comes from the inside, it's not dict- we don't do it because we're dictated to. We're not legislated. We're not forced into uh, you know, uh, acting like a believer and believing like a believer. Let me tell you, I want to have it from the inside pressing out. And Brother Bram said, but now another generation comes along. He said, and, and then he quotes, we better stop that nonsense and all these things of this shouting and going on. We better culture the church. Brother, the Holy Ghost is what leads the church. He said, take that out of it and you take the life out of it. It'll quit growing. And if you don't believe that, look at the Wesleyan church and where they are today. When they once had it and they don't have it, it's because they took something out. Sometimes we in the message, we think we're elitists and say, well, hey, you know what? We got the message of the hour. You act like they act and you watch where the Holy Spirit goes. And I'll guarantee you, if we adopt the wrong attitude, and I say we as a, as a, a you know, a, the message community, if we act the same way as those denominational people did, we will wind up in the same place believing that we're okay, but the Holy Spirit's on the outside knocking. And I will tell you, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in a place thinking I'm right because I'm still quoting Brother Branham and missing, missing the presence of the Holy Spirit. We should be praying every time we come together, Lord, speak to us. Lord, move among us here. Lord, bring healing to those that need it. Lord, if our horse breaks down, let us lay hands on the horse. If somebody, somebody in the congregation is going through something, rather than criticize them or say, hey, they got what they deserve, we ought to be laying hands on them. We ought to be praying with them and supporting them and lifting them up. You know why? Because we're part of a body. We're absolutely part of a body. We should be doing all of those things here. And Brother Bam said, and when God sends the Holy Ghost down like he did on the day of Pentecost and that mighty rushing wind, the only thing the church does is moan and groan and say, well, there's no such thing. And he says, why? Why can't you, why you can't bend? Because you're dead. Why can't you bend? Why can't you sway with the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit wants to move through this church and, 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 and correct something, he should be able to do that. And we should be able to lean towards that. But when you say, oh, no, I'm not going to change. That brother is wrong or that sister is wrong. And I don't have to listen to that. And Brother Barry, I don't have to hear what you have to say. And I've got my ways and I think I'm right. You know what you're doing? You're moaning and you're stiff and lifeless. Brother Branham said when the Holy Spirit rides through our church, he should be able to bend all of us to the place where we examine ourselves and make things right. He said, but you're dead. She ain't got no life in it. You just stand there and the wind blows right on and say, oh, that's metal telepathy and the days of miracles has passed. Do you realize how often Brother Bannon must have heard that moaning sound and that groaning sound where people didn't want to leave the Trinity and they didn't want to leave baptism in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And they didn't want to, uh, they didn't want to uh, you know, let the Holy Spirit transform them. They didn't want to let the Holy Spirit in. I, I've got my denominational way. I've got my understanding. I've got my, I got my mind made up. I have, my father had this and I've got this. 
this, and by God's grace, I'm going to stay right here. And Brother Branham's preaching all the time and hearing that moaning of that wind trying to, trying to move people in that direction. And he said, the Holy Ghost just sweeps right over them. I don't want the Holy Spirit to sweep over this church. I want him to be able to pass through this church and affect every tree that's in here. Every member, every life that's in here, I say, God, if we've got something that's, uh, that's not right, blow through us to the point where we bend our knees and come to an altar and make things right. I say, if we come to the place where we're too stiff and formal, let me tell you, I say, God, blow through here in a way that you can, you can uh, cause us to praise God over the things that God has done. By the mercies of God, Paul said, we should present our bodies a living sacrifice. When we know what God has done, when we're convinced of the mercies of God, when we know for sure all that God has provided for us, may we be the kind of people that are quick to praise him and quick to thank him and quick to rejoice and quick to sing and quick to rejoice together and quick to uh, you know, be able to uh, sing praises unto God. We should be a people who are quick to do that. We shouldn't have to draw that out. We shouldn't have to pull that out. It should be a response to the hearing of the word of God. Are you with me this morning? It should be a, a natural response to the hearing of the word of God. It should be a response to reflecting on the mercies of God and how good he's been to you. How gracious he's been to you as a, as a family. This morning before church started, a man showed up in my office here and uh, never met him before. He shows up, uh, somebody, Brother David, I think, brought him in, and, and uh, I looked at him, I stood up, and uh, he says, you don't know me. He says, but I'm your neighbor. I'm your, down in Bugle Lane. He said, I'm your, uh, he said, my mother-in-law lives next door to your lot down there on Bugle Lane. And he said, she's had a, uh, she's had a debilitating illness, and she's going to sell her house and so forth, and we wanted to offer you that house first before we put it up on the market. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, he, 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 he asked me a little bit about my situation. And I said, well, we, 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 we own this land. He knew I owned the land. And uh, he, he said, uh, you're not living here, obviously. And I said, no, we, we plan to do that. But I said, my father-in-law is 96 years old and we care for him. And, and I said, we're just trying to honor that and, and so forth. That's kind of been the delay. But I said, we rent a house. I said, we actually rent a house across from our land. He said, oh, is that you? He said, I saw somebody coming in and out there. And he said, but I didn't know that was you that owned that, uh, rented that house and owned that land over there. So he was explaining things to me. And uh, he said, he said, we're here. He said, we live in Atlanta. He works for Chick-fil-A. And he said, we're we are here because we're helping our mother-in-law and she's going to have to move and so forth. And he said, we just wanted to offer it to you because he said, whether you realize it or not, he said, you have integrity in our neighborhood. He said, you have a reputation. I said, did you see John Harwell before you came in? Because if he was here, he'd say, really? That's what I said to him, Really? I said, I've hardly met anybody in the neighborhood. He said, yeah, but the people know you. And he said, they see you coming in and out. And he said, they, they, they talk about you. And they know you're a pastor and so forth. And he said, he said they, you have a reputation in our neighborhood. I said, wow, that's, that's humbling. And he said, he said, I admire you for doing that, for looking after your father-in-law and honoring your parents. He said, because honoring your parents doesn't even stop when your parents are alive. He said, honoring your parents lasts as long as you're alive. It would be dishonorable for me to speak about my mother-in-law or my mother. Don't you agree? 
as long as I'm alive, I should honor my mother and my father. Honoring your mother and father is not for kids and teenagers. Honoring your father and mother is a lifelong principle that God has laid upon your heart because you're a believer. I'm, I'm saying all this for a reason here. And he said, I respect that. He said, we believe we're, we're doing the same thing with our mother-in-law. And he said, I know I'm keeping you from your sermon. He said, you're, you're preparing for your sermon here. He said, but I just wanted to come up and, and let you know that and offer, offer you the uh, look at the house and so forth. And I said, I thanked him for that. And then, then he just reached out and prayed for me. He laid hands on me and prayed, prayed for me for the service today. And he said, God, he said, may you anoint Pastor Coffee here today. And, and so on. went on and prayed. And, and uh, I, I, I reached out. And I gave him a hug, thanked, thanked him. And I, I, I just thought to myself, my wife came in. And I introduced him, my wife to him and so forth. We were just talking for a minute. And I just thought to myself, you know what that is? That's the mercies of God. That's the mercies of God in my life. For people to, to have that feeling about it, they don't even know me. And when a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies will be at peace with him, the Bible says. And I, I, think, I think a lot about the mercies of God. I think about where I would be today if it wasn't for the mercies of God. And you ought to think about the mercies of God and, and think about, you know what? In, in reality, we don't have a thing in the world to complain about. God has been so gracious to us. Even, uh, you know, we think about the mistakes that we made, and then we make them again, and then we go back and make them again. And God still deals with us, and God still knocks on our door, and God still comes and rescues us and finds us. Because none of you have sought God. None of you have sought God. But God seeks us. It's like you're running through the woods, and you trip on a, on a, on a root, and you look up, and you see, see him standing there, and you say, oh, I'm glad I found you. That's not the way it is. He found you. He found you, and he reaches for us, even after we make so many mistakes and even after we blow it so many different times. Let me tell you, saints of God, when you begin to get this, this idea right, that it's not, it's not us conforming to this message. It's not us conforming to the way somebody might insist or somebody does it. It's not how convincing the preacher is. It's got to be a transformation from the inside out. And when we, when we worship God that way, through the expression of that seed of God, you're worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to baptize Brother Sam this morning. If there's anybody else in here who would like to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have enough water. We have enough real estate to baptize whoever would like to surrender their heart to Christ. We're going to ask Brother Jaron to come and help us sing and worship here this morning. I'm glad. I'm glad that there's still mercy. I'm glad that there's still a place that we can turn to in repentance. I'm glad that we can still, <clears throat> we can still surrender our hearts to him and God is still dealing with individuals and not, not, not in judgment but in mercy. I'm glad for that today. I don't know about you. I'm glad for his mercies. I'm glad for his love. I'm glad for the way that he extends himself. Let's sing that little chorus. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks. Sing it this morning here with me as we worship him again. We're going to let Brother Jaron close the service here. I thank you for being here. I thank you for your attention. I thank you for your love for the word because that's not something I take lightly. I think that's a wonderful thing. May God bless you today. Sing it now. 
give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Jesus Christ, His Son. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done. stand in all of you together. I stand, I stand in all of you. I stand. You are beautiful beyond description. Too marvelous for words. 
Amen and amen. Brother Samuel, based on your obedience to the scripture and your desire to walk in newness of life, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, keep those hands going. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, we worship you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. What a wonderful thing it is, amen, to rededicate your heart to God. Amen. My heart's just overjoyed right now for Brother Samuel. I know a lot of water's gone under the bridge and time goes on and heartaches and struggles and trials in your life. Amen. But what a blessed thing it is to just have your heart become tender to God again and turn and rededicate your life to God. My goodness. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's sing a little song. God will make this trial a blessing. We're going to see we can sing that together. God will make this trial a blessing Though it sends me to my knees Though my tears flow like a river Yet in Him there's sweet relief There's no need to get discouraged There's no need to talk to me God will make this trial a blessing and the whole wide world sing that again will god will make this trial a blessing though it sends me to my knees though my tears flow like a river yet in him there's sweet relief oh there's no need to get discouraged no need to talk defeat God will make this trial a blessing And the whole wide world will see First, first I've just come into a valley One like I've never been before I keep searching for a way out Seems like padlocks on the door Oh, there must be another sunrise, another sunset that I'll see. Oh, God will make this trial a blessing, and just patient you will see. Well, God will make this trial a blessing, though it sends me to my knees. Though my tears flow like a river. Yet in Him there's sweet relief There's no need to get discouraged No need to talk defeat God will make this trial a blessing And the whole wide world will see How it's not the first one to come To this place Every child of God This is a test that he must face Oh, it's here that God will mold you And make you Well, God will make this trial a blessing Just be patient, you will see Oh, God will make 
this trial a blessing For it sends me to my knees For my tears flow like a river Yet in Him there's sweet release To get discouraged I won't use the word defeat God will make this trial a blessing And the whole wide world will see I'm standing on the mountain And looking back I can't see When I was in that lowest valley His strong hands were leading me Oh, it's good to see the sunshine And to taste sweet victory God has made this trial a blessing And the whole wide world will see Oh, God will make this trial a blessing Though it sends me to my knees Though my tears flow like a river Yet in Him there's there's no need to talk discouraged. There's no need to talk defeat. God will make this trial a blessing, and the whole. Let's sing it again now, all together now. Just raise your hand. Will God will make this trial a blessing? Though it sends me. Well, though my tears Yet in Him there's sweet relief There's no need to get discouraged No need to talk to feed God has made this trial a blessing And the whole wide world will see Hallelujah Amen I'm glad He takes our trials Amen, and turns them into blessings. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's just sing one more before we dismiss today. Be it unto me according to your word. Be it unto me according to your word. According to your promises, I can stand secure. Carve upon my heart the truth that sets me free. According to your word, O Lord, be it unto me. Be it unto me. According to your word. According to your promise. I can stand secure Carve upon my heart The truth that sets me free According to your word, O Lord Be it on God bless you, saints Sing it as you go